0: The Olympic Channel podcast is brought to you by Bridgestone, Worldwide Olympic and Paralympic partner, a founding partner of the Olympic Channel.
1: Olympic Channel podcast.
0: My name is Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. And also getting into the mix is Bianca. Bianca Beaton-Dark is a South African surfer who booked a ticket to the Olympic Games at the 2019 ISA World Surfing Games.
1: I am an Olympia. <laughs> can't believe I'm saying that sentence.
0: Olympic Channel have made a documentary series through the eyes of some of the very best surfers who competed to earn a qualification spot for Tokyo 2020. Bianca is one of the stars of that series, which is available to stream right now for free at olympicchannel.com. She's also joined us on the podcast this week to talk about why the Olympics is her last big goal in surfing, her view on shark attacks, and guide us through what has been a life and career with huge highs and difficult lows. So, Bianca, hello, how are you?
1: Very well, thanks.
0: Whereabouts are you in the world exactly at the moment? Are you home?
1: I'm home in a small town called Victoria Bay in South Africa. I've been here since November. So that's the longest I've been home in the last 10 years. So it's a big, big, big moment really.
0: That's so weird because like one of the great things about being a surfer is that you get to travel the world and be in all these different places with these like amazing people but that's also one of the most annoying things about it as well because you don't see your friends or family for like a year and even when you come back i guess it's like trying to squeeze everything in it's like pressure so have you enjoyed this time has this been like nice in a way or is it a bit like yeah i kind of had enough this now
1: no it's been really nice um i think i can stay in south africa for the next 20 years without leaving the country i just feel at home. I think also got a lot of time to catch up on or a lot of relationships to kind of invest in where previously it wasn't possible. So I think the it's almost been a year that I've been home. That's wild. I can't even believe it. <laughs> That's crazy.
0: So what was it like growing up? Where, is it? Was it quite as idyllic and as perfect as I have it in my mind? You know, it looks so good. Looks perfect.
1: Mm, it is idyllic, I guess. Now that I've grown up and kind of seen what most kids would kids' realities were, I think it's you can compare where previously you were almost just kind of present in it. So we live about a kilometer from the beach, so you can actually see the swell from the top here, but you can't see um, the size of the wave. So you you generally just take your chances and. And drive down but i live in an area called the garden route which explains a lot um it is green and there are lakes and rivers and valleys um, and very few people so i think that also makes a big difference and uh, most a lot of times we're surfing alone and every weekend was another another excuse to kind of head over the hill into the into another adventure so it is as idyllic as you can imagine yes it really is i think most sport most types of sports are escapes or is t- some type of escape for people where they don't have to think about things that might be um, demanding or might be on their chest like work-wise etc but for the, there is like a geographical border for us more than there is a mental one we just step from the sand into the water and then everything just gets forgotten, which is amazing. Um, I think that's also why I'm so passionate about it. No other sport can really offer that to you. So yeah. Removed, I guess. I think that's the best way to describe it. Removed and content in a in a way as well. But even yeah, with with or without a surfboard, I mean just being in the ocean is is what makes the whole thing tick.
0: Bianca from just down the coast also grew up on a, a long, stretched out right, so she can really swing together some nice moves once she gets going. And you you were with your brothers as well. You're the middle the middle child, right? So, you know, how's that? What's, the, what's it like being in the middle? Is this why you've become some crazy elite athlete? I think
1: that definitely has had an influence in the competitive drive that I have. I mean, whether it's getting to the front seat first or... Eating more than the others, or, I mean, cheapest. Getting better grades, more medals at sports, school sports. So it's been competitive. And I'm they're two years older and younger than me, so it's very close in age. But um, I've relaxed a lot, as you can see. <laughs> I think I've matured. So that competitive thing it definitely did fade out um, to my benefit. But when I was younger, it really was very, very pre- present.
0: Was it ever made clear to you that there was any difference between me being male and female when you were younger? And, you know, has that been a real help in kind of like being, you know, an elite surfer at the end of the day?
1: No, I didn't feel that there was any difference really um, until we had to split. I used to surf the boys' division as well, but um, there wasn't really... And I, and I felt my family structure also allowed for girls to be just as um valuable slash capable. So I just saw it as with my brothers were doing well, just as a challenge to kind of put myself up there as well. So no, I never felt the difference really at all.
0: Was there a point when, you know, in your younger years where you were like, I I'm gonna be a pro surfer? Or was it like more of a a slow process? Like what was the what was the moment where you thought this was real?
1: I I never had a moment, and I also um, growing up. Some I've heard some people's stories saying that at an age of fifteen they knew they wanted to be a pro surfer, and it didn't happen to me. I just kind of found myself there, or kind of stumbled upon it, and I think it was just um, the consequence of opportunity of the opportunity that I just decided not to let go past without um, utilizing. So, and also. Um, I I knew very well the scarcity of the opportunities for someone coming from a small town in South Africa. So I really felt responsible to, since my parents were sacrificing so much, and um, I was in a one in a million um, spot to to be able to progress or make something of it. So I really felt responsible in that setting. And I come from my first language in Afrikaans, so it's a very different culture than than the surf culture, really, and it's very conservative and. I don't know, family oriented, career driven. So my parents gave me a gap year before between school and studies, which is unheard of or unconventional in my native kind of set setup. But um then I took this gap year, they said give it a give it a shot, and I managed to land a sponsorship with Quicksilver in Europe and um really helped me through that year especially. <clears throat> and then I lost the first six months, I came lost at every single event. And then <laughs> and then I'm like oh (laughs) that was a waste of time and money but um then I accidentally won one big event um and then straight into the next one accidentally won that one as well and then after those two events it was enough to to qualify for the tour so it was it was it felt at the at that time it felt it feel like some sort of accident or like oh mayday I wasn't expecting it at all. So then the next moment I'm like, cheapest I'm on the tour next year. What do I do now? And um, then I was really thrown into the deep end. I think that's when the challenge really started, um, because because there's pressure and expectation, et cetera, et cetera. So that was that was interesting. <laughs>
0: How was it coming home though? Where did you do those? Where did where were those two back to back wins? And and was like your family there or what? How, what was the setup?
1: My father was there for the first one. It was in Peru, so it was far far away. And the second one, my mother was there, and it was in the Azores Islands of Portugal. So like remote, remote. But um I was living after school I was living in France for most of the year just because it was easier to get to events and have some sort of relationship with sponsors, etc. So um I moved there eight at eighteen, bought a, my first car, I was driving on the other side of the road, it just it was wild. But um I think when I got back to France, it was the first kind of realization because Roxy had put up a some sort of welcoming home. Um, event for me and I think that's when I first realized and then at that point it was still ASP so it was much more um, meek with the marketing etc etc but um, when I got the schedule for the next year and I didn't start off at the QS then it kind of sunk in but um, I was very far from home most of the time so I don't think the homecoming <laughs>
0: Um, the ticker tape parade wasn't no, quite no, no,
1: there no, no, <laughs> and I always, I've always wanted to it's always been like this inherent dream to have someone standing at the arrivals hall with like a balloon or something but every time I came to the arrivals my mom was late so she was finding parking it was, <laughs> and I had to like shuffle my way through the people and like stand in a car park and wait for her <laughs> so, that also hasn't been realised so Anyway, I just, I just, I just see all these, I don't know, this reconciliation happening in their arrivals all, and I'm just kind of pushing through. <laughs> Are they all right? They are, they as berserk every time something moves.
0: <laughs> what? How many have you got of those two dogs?
1: Six dogs. Nine what? Ones, yeah.
0: Bianca. Up. I love the way she fades back into this bowl to set up a more vertical approach huge hit there I know that it was a difficult period when you know anyone's parent passes away but especially when you know you're living away so much etc cetera, etc cetera, it's hard and you've got to w- you've got to win to stay on the tour it's like it's it's ruthless so I mean, how was that period for you, you know, like with your dad passing away and and, and well, actually doing so well on on competitively?
1: Um, I think it was easier being away from home. Like I came back for the funeral for three days and then I had to do an event. So just kind of being away still felt like when I come home, he will still kind of be here. But I think that was part of the recovery being far. I think it really helped. Being here and having to keep us—I don't know if I would be able to have faced it um, being home. So that helped. And then secondly, I think things get put into perspective. So winning or losing a hit really doesn't doesn't matter. So I think that whole mind shift of cheapest what am I? What am I anxious about, really? Or what am I? What am I trying to prove? So it, it was more a uh, shift in mentality. I really wouldn't have cared. Of Falling off the tour that year, so or any year really after that, but um, I think it was a mind shift, some type of escape, and being far was easier than being home. But um, I, it happens. It happens to. I'm just, I'm just grateful for having him up, to, up until the age of twenty one, where most people don't have an example like that or unconditional love from their parents. So I think that that also kicked in big time, like more gratitude than it was. tragedy to me.
0: Has that kind of really emboldened you and given you strength?
1: Uh, I guess it does shape your character big time. I think it was a bit of a struggle, but it definitely did shape some sort of resilience or tenacity, but um, yeah, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but uh, if it does happen, there is opportunity to grow from it.
0: Yeah. Good to good to hear, especially at this this sort of time when you know it's hard. It's like you know it's uh, there's people in the pandemic just mentally struggling out there at the moment, and you know it's. Uh, I think I wanted to ask like. If there is someone out there who's kind of struggling at the moment or has felt isolated, you know was there any things that you would do differently, you know, like how you pulled yourself together mentally like there's some advice
1: i don't I don't think you can give advice really. I think that's the worst thing to do if someone goes through that kind of just i don't know advice that it's worth nothing, really No, I wouldn't be able to give advice. I don't think anyone can handle it well. Bianca Batenda, who's
0: really starting to click in the gear here. Beautiful hit off the top. And again, just drawing that bottom turn out. I'm so jealous of anyone who's a pro surfer because it's an amazing life. But I'm also terrified of being a pro surfer. I would not cut it if you muck up two years in a row. Maybe that's it. That's like,
1: what? You get used to it, but it's still terrifying. <laughs> Every heat you surf is terrifying. Every kind of, I don't know, some type of pressure or qualification or ranking that you need to obtain is terrifying. So I think even, we, even though we might look quite meek and mild from the outside, we are trembling inside. But I think it's also, you do develop some type of uh, stress management. But then again, it's not a question of life or death. It's just a question of a heat score. So um, I see. I think some athletes get too caught up in it and they get heavily upset. Um, but again, no, no life is on the line. It's just a question of of heat score, I guess, ego, finances, etc. It's not really detrimental to anyone.
0: Minasan, konnichiwa.
1: So I've been to Japan a few times and I really enjoy the the place and we we fortunately got a few typhoons that came through and the waves were really good. So I haven't seen Japan in bad conditions and I think I haven't seen Japan in the middle of summer yet. But um it's nothing we're not used to. I mean, it's been a grind for 10 years so that's kind of what we prepared for. But um it would be great if if spectators or the or the audience online could, are able to see, um, kind of the the limit of our abilities, and for that it does require some size, well, and conditions. So for their part, I hope, I hope um, it is a bit more exciting, and we are able to perform. I think it's going to be a great opportunity, and I plan to um i going to take my whole family with and make it more of an experience than an event really but um the fact that it's the first time that surfing is included is also quite I- iconic so i would like to make the most of that opportunity as well
0: i want to talk about sharks
1: <laughs> jeepers you guys make me tired with a shark talk all the time
0: well, like in all seriousness, though, like it to be, you know, like I do love sharks and I've got a big respect for them, whatever. But, you know, six people have died in Australia this year from from sharks. It's like, it's not.
1: That's, that's insane. That is actually so heavy. Yeah. Well, you need to be careful of statistics or some sort of data collection because most of the time um, the things that make the headlines are not usually the truth. And also maybe the amount of people that surf has picked up not only the shark attack. So there's a lot of variables to consider when trying to conclude um, something about an event or a series of events. But in um, in South Africa, we we don't have the same. I think there's like 1% of people in Australia. Like if, say now, 3 million people surf in Australia, then 300,000 or even less, 30,000 people surf in South Africa. So... We our exposure to the chance of being bitten by a shark is so much less, Um, just because the country doesn't really have a beach culture to the extent that Australia does, and um, also the surfing population is really, really a small, small percentage of the general population in South Africa. So there's a lot of things to consider when kind of comparing the stats of one country to the next. But I feel like in South Africa. The chances, I think our life expectancy is like 52. So the chances of something something happening to you is enormous daily. So if you do get bitten by a shark, you didn't expect to live to 85. So in that sense, we've got heavy inherent diseases. We've got poverty like you cannot imagine. We've got thousands of other issues that are more uh, lethal or more tragic than the stats on shark attacks. So I think it's very difficult to control a variable variable like that. It's not like I've oh, got road accidents, there's more seatbelt regulations. It's something that is so far out of our control and we must be sca- careful not to mingle with the the whole ecosystem and the whole um, the ex- the extent of the damage we could do is great. So I think we should think a lot before but that's not my feel at all so I'm going to leave that up to the experts
0: and also let's talk about the series man like the you know Olympic channel I've got this uh series together and you're one of the like the main people in it about the ISA uh world surfing games and you know like getting that qualification spot and like this was the first time you know that um all the world's like kind of top and amateur surfers were all kind of brought together to compete against each other for the first time. I mean, you know, like, why should people watch this, this show? You know, like, why is it interesting?
1: I think it gives some sort of insight into the reality or the, the realities of an athlete's life. So whereas the public might've portrayed it in a certain way, you can get the inside view of what it's really like. So I think that part of the show is amazing. And then also... If I understand it well, it it is some type of sequence. So it's from the first day of the event, and it kind of moves through up until the 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 final day when the prize giving, etc. So I think that progression of heats and the um, changes in sentiment and um, a bit of an emotional rollercoaster, they get insight into that as well. So not only do they get insight into a point of an athlete's life, but an entire week of progression as well. Challenge time.
0: Got a few things. Do you do this thing every single day? And if not, like kind of why not? And if you do, why do you do it? Okay. Do you brush your teeth every day?
1: I brush my teeth twice a day. Every day. Yes.
0: Is it grizzly when you miss it?
1: Yeah, I can't sleep. <laughs> I struggle to.
0: <laughs> do you have an ice bath every day? No,
1: I'm not. I've never had an ice bath and I'm not planning to in the near future. Yeah, uh-uh. I think life is tough enough. You don't want to make it worse for two minutes.
0: <laughs> the, the argument is that you get out of the ice bath and you feel great.
1: Because that doesn't make any sense to me
0: at all. <laughs> <laughs> do you lose your temper every day?
1: <gasps> Gee, I do lose my temper, but might not might not be every day. I would say weekly, but not daily. But I lose my temper to myself. I don't, I don't spread it. I just keep it to myself, but uh, I do, yes. Guilty as charged.
0: Do you check Instagram?
1: Uh, so I, not, not daily, no. I I actually deleted the app by accident and forgot my password. So I wasn't on Instagram for well over six months. <laughs> but I've been back for the last week. Woohoo! social media, yay. But um, no, I don't go on daily, I just do it when I need to.
0: Do you dance every day?
1: No, <laughs> I sing every day to myself, but I don't, I don't dance Oh, I don't, I've never really... No, I never made the effort to, to take a tally, but I don't think so.
0: And finally, do you listen to the Olympic Channel podcast every day?
1: Can I lie? <laughs> yes, no I'm, no, I'm actually, I'm, I'm gonna make an effort to do it more often, but
0: it's very just, diplomatic of you. Thank Bianca. You, I'm I, I appreciate that. <laughs>
1: practicing.
0: I'll cut out the "Can I lie?" bit. Edit, edit.
1: Olympic Channel Podcast.
0: I only need to recommend you an episode, though, that you should listen to, being from South Africa. And we spoke to uh, Luvo Manyonga. And he's a South African long jumper. Do you know his story?
1: No, not at all.
0: He was, you know, addicted to, I think they call it tick Mm. in South Africa. He was watching the London 2012 Olympic Games high.
1: You know what Tuk is? Took is like the myth of, oh, it's terrible.
0: Five years later, in 2017, he was in the same stadium, lining up as a, an Olympic silver medalist from the year before, and jumps to become world champion. Wow. Five years wow. later. That's and impressive. he is awesome. I broke down like, in tears, if you can remember, like on the runway, I kneeled down and started crying. On that moment, I was like, wow, all the struggles, all the pain, all the tears of my mom, my sister, the prayers that my mom prayed for me and the people who were real to me, who was praying for me, for, for me to be that person on that podium. That was like uh, the best moment that happened in my life. Like, I felt like God was in my presence in that moment.
1: Okay, I'm on to it. I'll start with that one.
0: So, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything. Thank
1: you for having me. And um, I will do my best. Olympic Channel Podcast.
0: Big thanks to Bianca. Go and give her a follow on Instagram. Her name is just Bianca Betondarg. I'm Eddie Knowles with an I and an E and we are Olympic Channel across all social platforms. Another big thank you as well this week goes to the WSL for production help. As mentioned in the podcast, we have a great new series that's streaming now for free at olympicchannel.com. It's called Road to Tokyo, The Qualify Stories, and there are two series coming out, one about surfing and the other about sports climbing. Here is the trailer for the surfing edition.
1: The ocean is a little bit different to other sports. Good luck. It always changes. Surfing is really just a way for us to escape what's happening in the day to day. waves? Everything else is fixable. Yeah. <laughs> Today's regulations for all the surfers: 20-minute heat, Bravo! maximum wave count of 25 waves. Two of those waves will go into your top ride. Bravo! The whole energy of this event is super great. Oh. And the competition is better than ever. One more! Go, go, go!
0: I think Olympic
1: surfing should definitely be in the ocean. Wow.
0: That was It was a terrible wave, but it triggered an amp in you.
1: The Olympic medal will be remembered forever, because you'll be the first one. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's it. Life goes on, man. We're to qualify for the Olympics. It's pretty cool that surfing's in the Olympics.
0: This is the ISA World Surfing Games. down:
1: Five, four, three,
0: that is available right now at olympicchannel.com and the sport climbing series goes live on october the 1st right that's it for now stay safe stay stronger together and we'll see you very soon
1: think like an olympian